0: Welcome to New Mexico and Focus, the podcast for Friday, June 4th, 2021. I am your host, Kevin McDonald, an executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. In this episode, we bring you conversations from this week's line opinion panel, and that includes regulars Dan Foley. Also, Merritt Allen of Vox Optima and Eric Grego, former state senator. And it all kicks off with one of the big news stories of the week, and that was the special election to replace Deb Holland in Congress. That is the first congressional district here in Albuquerque, which has been vacant since she was confirmed as the new U.S. Secretary of the Interior. It was a whirlwind election. Uh, That happened in in record time. It's only really happened one other time here in the state. That was also in the 1st Congressional District. And uh, again, the major party candidates were Democrat Melanie Stansberry, Republican Mark Moores. There was also Chris Manning running as a Libertarian, Aubrey Dunn as a write-in. And uh turnout was around 30%, I believe, overall by final count. And by a landslide, Melanie Stansbury took that election on Tuesday. She reached crossed that 60% threshold, so even a bigger win than Deb Holland had just a year ago. Of course she'll have to turn around and do it all again for next November. But it was interesting to see the reaction, uh, and especially from the Republican side of the aisle. All of a sudden, there were allegations, accusations thrown out there in effect that Mark Moores was a rhino, Republican in name only. Uh, He has a strong conservative background. I guess his fault it was during the campaign, even an interview here he did in New Mexico in Focus. He talked about being willing to work across the aisle, which apparently today is a big uh, no-no for some in the Republican Party. And yet uh, this is uh, yet another election That does not go in the Republican Party's favor. Uh, So we're going to talk a lot with the line about what happened there, what went wrong. Uh, Will Republicans, are they willing to shift gear here at all before the midterm election next year? Or will the national tide... Uh, The coattails, however you want to describe it, will that spin back towards Republicans next year on their own? So let's dive right into it here now. Host Gene Grant and the aforementioned Line Opinion Panel.
1: An open congressional seat, a polarized electorate, a new president and a razor-thin margin in both houses of government. The special election for New Mexico's first congressional district could have been a nail biter, but it ended up as a blowout as State Representative Melanie Stansbury hit the 60% mark in her first race for the U.S. House. The Light Opinion Panel is here to talk about the significance of that victory. Former State House Minority Whip and Line Regular Daniel Foley is back. Owner and founder of Vox Optima Public Relations, Merritt Allen joins us, as does former State Senator and progressive strategist Eric Riego. Now, Daniel, MAYBE THE MARGIN OF VICTORY SURPRISED SOME PEOPLE, BUT DID THE RACE EVER, AT ANY POINT IN YOUR MIND, EVER FEEL CLOSE? OH, NO.
2: I MEAN, YOU KNOW, LOOK, THAT DISTRICT, THAT THE MAJORITY OF THAT DISTRICT THAT, uh, that, that MAKES UP THAT HOUSE DISTRICT, WHEN I WAS IN THE LEGISLATURE, mm-hmm. ALMOST OVERWHELMINGLY, THAT SIDE OF ALBUQUERQUE WAS ALL REPUBLICANS. RIGHT. TODAY, YOU HAVE BILL REAM. YOU HAVE ONE REPUBLICAN THAT LIVES OVER THERE. SO, mm-hmm. YOU KNOW, CLEARLY THE DEMOGRAPHICS HAVE SHIFTED DRAMATICALLY. Um, which doesn't surprise us in Albuquerque. What does surprise me is the lack of effort from the Republican Party for the only race that was going on in the state of New Mexico and a race that had huge consequences nationally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do, do you have a chance? Well, I can tell you, if you don't show up with your full team, you definitely have no chance. Mm-hmm. If you show up with a team ready to compete, um, you may have a fighting chance. I think what we're seeing in New Mexico um, is that the Democrat Party is energized, is fired up, uh, they got things to be excited about. I'm not sure why, because they got Eric Gray go in that party, but apparently that's enough to get him excited. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the Republican Party seems to be Steve Pierce all the time, 24-7. I mean, I, there's word on the street that he's already, you know, uh, talking to folks about running for governor. So, you know, I mean, they seem to have spent more time trying to figure out how to have a freedom meeting in Amarillo than they did preparing for a uh, open congressional seat And the reason that's important, regardless of whether you think that we have the Republicans have a chance to win the seat or not, is that data is extremely important to go out and recruit candidates in the future mm. right as you're seeing all of this stuff going when you go knock on somebody's door when you go knock on somebody's door to, to go take on one of those democrat candidates when you go knock on Merritt allen's door and say Merritt, you should run look mark Morris ran ahead the curve ran ahead of trump he you know he did this he did that here's all this information for your legislative district you should be a good candidate um, now you're going to sit down and say, "Look, Mary, you should run." And you know, we just had a we just had a race that we got shellacked even worse than we did in the presidential race. Right. So you, you've really you've really prevented yourself from recruiting candidates, and I just think it highlights the ineffectiveness. And the complete lack of a republican party in the state of new mexico at this time i mean you know it's clear the steve pierce marketing machine um and at the end of the day we're seeing the results of that you know he guaranteed a win for trump in new mexico that didn't happen we lost seats in the legislature we haven't you know we had this uh this open congressional seat that we lost worse than we lost uh you know when we had a less named republican candidate at the time mm-hmm. um you know you look at mark morris i mean in the albuquerque area he at least had some name recognition
1: so, you let, know, let, I, I let think me jump there's in. a lot to look at. Let me da- jump in, Daniel. You mentioned Mark Morris. I do want to pick up on that with, uh, with Merritt for sure. I'm glad you brought that in. Uh, you know, the candidate has to be discussed, uh, Merritt, of course. He's taken some flack from more conservative Republicans out there for being not conservative enough or not, I'm not quite sure what the argument <laughs> here is, but this is a longtime Republican stalwart. He had name recognition. He's been around. I mean, what, what happened here in your view, Merritt?
3: I I think the the biggest problem is uh, and if you look at House, you know, U.S. House Republicans, um, they have gotten too close to Lauren Boebert and too far from Liz Cheney, Mm. and they're running on one script. Um, And the Yvette Harrell script will not play in Albuquerque. And unfortunately, um, That script has been a failure in Albuquerque the last three election cycles, which is why we don't have any Republican legislators in Albuquerque. Mark Moores knows this district. Mm -hmm. And if you remember his first ads that came out with the UNM football team and they were funny. It was his personality and it talked about his record that will play in Albuquerque. What's clear is the New Mexico GOP has no idea what's going on north of Socorro. And as soon as the professionals took over and you saw the more professional ads, and it was angry, it was bitterness, it was right. divisive, and Albuquerque stayed home or uh, they voted for uh, Stansbury, who to me, perfectly nice, forgettable candidate. I don't remember any of her ads. Uh, NRCC didn't put any money uh, in this, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the script um, that so many uh, House Republicans used. DOESN'T WORK IN ALBUQUERQUE. Look, so let, me,
1: LET ME ASK YOU THIS, MERIT, AND DAN BRUSHED UP AGAINST THIS AS WELL. WHERE WAS THE NRCC? IT WAS THE ONLY RACE GOING ON. I MEAN, I, I GOT POLITICO UP ON MY SCREEN HERE. BIG SCREAMING HEADLINES, DEMS BREATHE SIGH OF RELIEF AFTER NEW MEXICO BLOWOUT. I MEAN, THIS WAS A HIGHLY WATCHED ELECTION. AND IT SEEMS LIKE THE FOLKS AT THE NATIONAL LEVEL COULDN'T HAVE CARED LESS FOR THE REPUBLICAN SIDE OF IT. AM, well, I, am well, I WRONG HERE? To, to, to LOOK AT
3: THE FUNDRAISING, NO. Um, uh, more than two to one, or yeah, more than two to one, one point three million to what? Right. Five ninety-five, right? Five hundred, five thousand, yeah. Um, the national money poured in on the D side, not on the R side. NRCC, um, I mm-hmm. guess they're focused on their incumbents. They're uh, they're supposedly obsessed with retaking the House, but not in New Mexico.
1: Right, exactly, and we're a fairly cheap market uh, on top of it. <laughs> hey, Eric, I talked with Joe MONAHAN on uh, yesterday, on Wednesday, on a Facebook live about how much room. Uh, MS. STANSBURY WILL HAVE TO MANEUVER WHEN IT COMES TO POLICY. WHAT I MEAN IS PROGRESSIVES LOVE THE BONA FIDES THIS TIME AROUND AND HOW SHE GOT IN OFFICE, BUT IT'S GOING TO BE TRICKIER WHEN SHE GETS A TERM OR TWO OF EXPERIENCE. ANY CERTAIN DEMANDS THAT CAN'T BE AVOIDED FOR PROGRESSIVES HERE OR, or have, IS SHE BEHOLDEN NOW TO PROGRESSIVES? HOW DOES SHE MOVE GOING
4: INTO THE GENERAL AT THIS POINT? I mean, I think she has a pretty solid record of, uh, you know, she has a good, solid progressive record on, you know, she's a climate change expert, what so she's dedicated a career to um, mm-hmm. on most issues, paid sick leave, um, minimum wage, you know, the kind of the bread and butter progressive issue. She's been great, but she also, I think, made some overtures during the campaign to, you know, working across the aisle and um, certainly was focusing on things like infrastructure that were, you know, much more sort of middle of the road issues, I think, right, that aren't, you know, can't strictly say they're progressive issues. But I just want to pick up on something that Merritt said. So like this is—it um, was shocking to me that uh, you know when there's no other competing races. It's one thing when the you know the, the the campaign committees for either party have a lot of races and they have to really pick and choose where they put resources. There was this was the only game in town, mm-hmm. and the fact that they didn't at least nobody thought nobody who follows politics in in this area thought that there was a chance that Mark Morris would agreeing. Certainly, I didn't. The question was how big was the win going to be, and I was shocked. The biggest win I was looking at the fast. The past cycle is a bigger win than Biden had. It was a way bigger win than Deb Holland had. It was was very popular. Right. So um, I think I I have a sort of a different take. I think it was the messaging. And maybe this is what Merritt was alluding to is that I think it was a repudiation of this whole, uh, you know, one trick uh, pony, you know, like this all crime, all anti-immigrant, all the time message that Mark Morse bought into Um, I think it turned off in a district like this. It just turns off a lot of voters. But I think it's a I think it is a signal to upcoming races, the mayor's race and the Mm. next uh, the next statewide race that, you know, going all in on this, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, fear, all fear, uh, you know, lot of uh, race baiting around immigration issues around sanctuary cities a lot of anti, you know, anti sort of activists, you know, uh, um, you know, just a lot of the brie. Kelly Melanie and Rod Radical is just, I think, uh, uh, I mean, is, you know, just, you know, again, it's a good talking point from the GOP playbook nationally, but it does, it just didn't jive with reality. And I think, mm-hmm. I think the Republican party has a real problem in the upcoming races because, you know, this, you know, when everything, you know, if crime and immigration is your only uh, tool, every, you know, and, and hammer is your only tool and everything looks like a, a nail. And I think that's what, that's what Moores did. THAT'S WHAT WE HEARD FROM, uh, from A LOT OF the, le- THE LEGISLATORS THAT WERE RUNNING IN THESE SWING DISTRICTS WHO LOST, RIGHT? THEY RAN ON THE SAME MESSAGE. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I THINK THAT I HOPE THERE'S A LESSON THERE FOR THEM. I DON'T KNOW IF THEY'RE GOING TO LEARN IT. WE'LL SEE.
1: DAN, I GOT A MINUTE LEFT. I WANT YOU TO PICK UP ON on SENATOR uh, JUST A SECOND AGO THAT WE'VE GOT MORRIS AND MORONCHETTI BOTH NOW NOT PUNCHING THROUGH USING THE SAME PLAYBOOK. Well, you know WHAT'S UP WITH THAT? Is there, IS THERE ANYTHING ELSE REPUBLICANS SAY OR DO OR PROPOSE? To win votes in this, yeah, situation. I mean, it,
2: a, a minute—a minute's not a, a enough time. I mean, I, you know, Eric. Eric likes to throw out the great platitudes, and I love—I love being on the show with Eric about the playbooks and all of that stuff. Look, nothing works if you don't build the foundation for it. If you don't lay the foundation, look, you know, telling someone that they're. You know, they're for sanctuary cities, and you're against it. You need to make sure you're laying the play, you're laying the foundation to get people to buy into that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, I think the the reason that the, the National Republican Congressional Committee is not involved in this race is because the state party is not involved in this race. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a it's a you know it's a it's a top down approach, right? If you're looking at as uh, in Washington to be involved in a race, and their own state party is not putting resources in the race, why are you putting resources in the race? So you know, I think this is I think all of these things. I'm not sure that it's a REPUDIATION OF CONSERVATISM AND REPUBLICANS LIKE ERIC IS 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 SINGING FROM THE MOUNTAIN WHICH HE SHOULD BE BECAUSE he, HE'S WINNING RIGHT NOW BUT I THINK WHAT IT IS IS IT'S A REPUDIATION OF THE WAY THE REPUBLICAN PARTY IS BEING RUN RIGHT NOW AND THE FACT THAT YOU KNOW THE REPUBLICAN PARTY IS ALL GEARED TOWARDS ELECTING STEVE Pierce FOR HIS NEXT RUN AND I THINK THAT YOU'RE SEEING ALL THESE BODIES LAYING ON THE SIDE OF THE ROAD FROM THIS BECAUSE He's, they're not committed to doing what needs to be done to build a party. And that's where I think we're we're falling down. The mm. Democrats seem to be building a party and the Republicans seem to be building a one a one man show. We're
1: out of time on this one. By the way, if you're still Jonesing for politics, we have all my post-election chat with Joe Monahan on our New Mexico in Focus Facebook page.
0: Again, there's tons to talk about coming out of that special election. and want to bring you a Facebook Live that our host Gene Grant did earlier this week with political blogger Joe Monahan, also sort of breaking down the outcomes of the race and uh, what uh, is next for some of these candidates and the the congressional district as a whole. So we were uh, happy to catch up with him. I want to bring you some of that conversation here now again. Gene Grant and political blogger Joe Monahan.
1: It's Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021. Day I mentioned the date. It's the day after the first. We just had an election to replace Deb Holland in CD1. And as you probably heard, Melanie Stansbury has won fairly comfortably, uh, as expected, I should say. So we're joined today by Joe Monaghan, longtime political watcher and blogger and go-to voice on all New Mexico politics, as they say. Joe, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it, man.
5: It's good to be here, Gene. Good to see you again and uh, had kind of an early night last night on the radio broadcast, uh, but uh, very
1: interesting. First special election, what, in over 20 years in our congressional district here? That's right. Hey, first things first, um, there was some worry out there that uh, turnout. Was going to be an issue. It looks like it settled in right at about thirty percent. Were you surprised? Are you pleased? Or what's your sense of that thirty? I think
5: it was a good turnout. I mean, that's about forty percent of what we did in the presidential election. So that that's about along with historical trends, if you can call them historic We've only had a couple of these, but we I pushed know. over to twenty-nine percent, moving on thirty. That was a lot better than we actually thought. A lot of us thought maybe one hundred and fifteen thousand. We got over one hundred and thirty. So a pretty okay. good turnout. And was I think the one? Democrats really spent a lot of money boosting that turnout, obviously, because of this huge margin that we saw last night that Stansbury got. It was off the charts. And I right. think that was a result of that turnout boost
1: and the money she had to do it. That's right. You know, we had Mark Morris in our studio, of course, for an interview uh, along with Ms. Stansbury. And, you know, I, when I was talking to him outside afterwards, he, he was really, really, really hoping for low turnout as a, as a way to get there. But it had to be about something else, though, too, Joe, didn't it? It, it, it just wasn't about amount of people coming. You got to have a story to tell. Who? And it looks like Ms. Stansbury's story was better at this point. Well, the district has leaned democrat and it's not even leaning
5: democrat it's solid democrat i mean we haven't had a republican win the seat since 2006 so the expectations by most analysts and pundits and uh, all of us who watch this stuff was that moores would lose but could he make a race of it and send a message that the district or there's some unhappiness with the progressive trend of the district and none of that happened so his all crime all the time pitch fell flat uh, on an election that was dominated by uh, progressive Anglo voters and college educated voters up in the Northeast Heights, which Mm -hmm. used to be reliably red, but those people have turned uh, blue over the last 10 years and it's been cemented by the uh, distrust of the Trump presidency and the serious branding hit that the Republicans have taken. And we saw that again play out last night. As far as its importance, I just think that as Greg Payne, one of our analysts said, it reaffirms the blue status of this congressional district. As far as sending any national message, reading the national media today, it was kind of like, well, we really don't know what it means, if
1: it means anything. (laughs) I'd have to agree with that. It was interesting from afar. Uh, That's for sure. Let's talk about Ms. Stansbury, the now uh, elected, you know, she'll be confirmed, of course, in a little bit and be the congresswoman for the district. Interesting, you just noted that she came from a district that used to be reliably red and she actually flipped that thing. You know, interesting, looking back on it, maybe we should have known something was up for her, you
5: know, back when. You mean her house district? Yeah. I mean, he had served, what, six, seven terms, Jimmy Hall, the Republican, and she flipped that. And little did we know that she would be the congresswoman-elect today. But talk about getting on the fast track of politics. Right. That's the way it seems to work a little bit more these days with social media and with uh, a big vacuums in leadership and possible candidates. But in her case, she did have a, a very uh, a big surprise, uh, not only in her House district in 2018, but when the Democrat Central Committee met uh, to name a nominee for the vacant House district, when Deb Holland went to become Secretary of Interior, she actually lost the first round of voting, as you'll recall, at that committee meeting. Then she had to overcome a 15% deficit in the runoff election, and she does it and ousts uh, Antoinette Cedillo Lopez and becomes the nominee. That's surprise number two. Then surprise number three is not as big. She wins last night, but not only does she win, she surpasses the victory margin of Joe Biden, which was the biggest victory margin by a Democratic candidate in the first congressional district ever. So. This lady has been full of a lot of surprises, and uh, maybe we're gonna see some when she gets up on Capitol Hill.
1: Interesting points there. I gotta, I gotta wonder, Joe, I got a question for you. It, it, with the margin of victory being so convincing and she doing such a good job on the campaign show, she turned out to be a pretty good campaigner as well. Has she officially quelled all the remaining angst that might have still been churning inside central committee about how this all went down? And what I wanna be very respectful to Miss Stansbury when I say this, But there was an opportunity here to have a woman of color, uh, a person of color, but particularly a woman of color in a very safe seat that could have been a career seat if they wanted it. And these things don't come up very often. Um, But the voters have spoken. And that was a big margin. Has she put all that to bed with that 60% plus win last night? It's
5: hard to say she hasn't, at least momentarily. There are these fissures and these uh, disc, and some discontent in the progressive community over what happened at that Democratic uh, Central Committee meeting. But short term, I think, you know, she's obviously had a great victory, is going to have the win at her back. The long-term problem for the Democrats, if you look at the election returns last night, Gene, mm-hmm. is the lack of Hispanic participation in a party that is heavily in, on his, in, in Hispanics, heavily registered Hispanics. Sisto Abeda, one of our democratic analysts, they have the data, said that maybe 13 or 14% of the electorate was Hispanic. I was kind of shocked by that. Wow. And I'll double check that, but I think you know these guys know what they're talking about. Sure. That was a big Anglo progressive community that put Stansbury in. Longer term, the Democrats have to work on getting these Hispanic voters back into the polls, back voting, or else the Republicans may uh, pull a few things uh, out of their hat and start attracting those Hispanic voters, signs of which we saw in the national election in 2020, not so much here. So that's how I see it, Gene. Short term, intermediate. I think it's kumbaya. Everybody's happy. Uh, She had a huge victory. But longer term, there are issues uh, for the party to confront.
1: Well said there. Very well said. Let's go to the Republicans real quick. Um, Mark Morris as a candidate is now sort of day after getting banged on by other Republicans. Uh, it's, it's really kind of indicative of what ha- what happened there. I mean, again, let's take us back to how Mr. Morris got chosen in the first place. And then we've got to talk about some things coming up in the well, general he- election as well.
5: A good question because people ask that. I mean, where did how did this all come about? He's not very well known either. I mean, Melody wasn't very well known, and uh, he was he kind of parachuted into the Republican Central Committee nominating uh, right. session, or was parachuted in, if you will, by the party establishment because radio talk show host uh, Eddie Agon a hardcore Trump supporter and a real rabble rouser was about to get that nomination. He had earlier challenged uh, Steve Pierce for the chairmanship, but that Trump wing was exceptionally active and the establishment didn't like that. And so Moores stepped up and got the nomination largely in part because of that. It was April 1st or so, and he found himself having to put together a major congressional campaign in a district that is not friendly to Republicans in a short period of time. But that's how it came down. And of course, he was a state senator or is a state senator, the only Republican state senator left in Bernalillo County.
1: Right, good point there. Any bounds from Aubrey Dunn and uh, the Libertarian candidate as well? I think they both added up to what, 4% uh, combined? Am I, do I have that right? I don't know about you, but I was
5: surprised by Aubrey Dunn's really weak showing. I thought just the name ID alone, didn't you? would be I a get him, get, get him up to five or six mm-hmm. and it didn't I was a little shocked
1: no even he didn't well, even as a default vote you know what i mean something i thought would just fall his way and it didn't yeah
5: i think that i think that what showed us gene is the energy was all with the progressive democrats they were involved in this election they didn't have, haven't have much fallout and enthusiasm since the november election mm-hmm. but the enthusiasm and the division in the Republican Party was on full display. The Trump wing did not be, come behind Mark Morris. Uh, the right. Republicans were not voting early. Then they had their shot. Election day, they popped it a little, but not much. And I think the you know these people know the race was not going to be won. The national Republicans never came with the millions of dollars right. that these things fortunately or unfortunately take these days. Mm-hmm. And that was the tell for those of us here watching on the ground that this was not going to be in play. It was just an inevitable... Uh, Outcome and that hurt the Republicans in getting their vote out. If you ask me, is was there any good news for the Republicans last night at all? Mm-hmm. I would peel the onion a little bit with Eugene and say, in Valencia County, uh, the small amount of votes there, the thousand or so votes there, did go for the Republican candidate. And Torrance County, uh, the rural county, stayed reliably red. So the trend lines, at least for the base Republican vote, uh, were still intact. But I boy, know. Bernalillo County. What a, what a baby blue that is for the Ds. Yeah.
1: It, it, the numbers just are, are going to be so difficult, even though, as we know, this district encompasses parts of four other counties yeah. uh, in the surrounding areas. It's just, it's just, you know, the math is difficult. But a race must be run in the general coming up as well for Ms. Stansbury. But I want to stay with Republicans here for just a quick sec. You know, I, I just, figuring out the candidate is one thing, Joe figuring out your money things, another thing as well, can all these things come together with where Republicans are currently to be able to make a good go here in the general coming up against Ms. Stansbury?
5: Well, even on a good night, it will be difficult for the Republicans. Yeah. But obviously, the, the Republicans need a change in the national environment, Gene, in order you to get uh, any kind of uh, seat like this in play, which is so dominated. And I think they're going to have a very difficult uh, time doing it. I go back to 2010, when the seats started to turn blue. Martin Heinrich was running for his second term in the U.S. House. That was the Tea Party year. And boy, the conservatives were out in force. He still won the district 10 years ago by 52 to 48. So that shows you how difficult it will be. And it will be questionable whether the Republicans will even bother to target the Albuquerque seat next year, because they've got bigger fish to fry that are more in sight than this one.
1: I think I bet you're right, Joe. I bet you're exactly right. I bet they're picking winners and losers right now, as they say. And with that...
5: Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm mean, just saying, with that house so in Washington so divided, right? What is it, four or five seats? Mm-hmm. They got you've got to really pick your territory
1: strategically and make a count. That's right. You know, interestingly, I, I appreciate that uh, Dan McCain, and his his wrap up. Maybe it wasn't Dan. Somebody at the Journal in their wrap up mentioned that this seat has been a hella springboard for political careers. The last few people, of course, our sitting governor, our sitting senior senator, our city, You know what I mean? This CD1 seat can really mean something. Is it your sense that Ms. Stansbury has plans? Is she in this for the long haul? Is she a politico, as they say?
5: I ran down every person who's held that seat on my blog at joemonahan.com and described how they all many of them got that boost just about every one of them. Right. Uh, and I think that it, I called it a launching pad. And by the way, the Northern congressional district ain't too shabby either. Just about, you know, you have Tom Udall getting uh, to the Senate and, uh, you know, Ben Ray getting from the house to the Senate. So we, yep. these, these congressional seats do launch political careers. No question. Stansbury's only 42 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's an ambitious person. I think she is kind of a Hill rat though. She worked for the Obama administration in the white house. Uh, she's a land and water consultant kind of nerdy on policy i think she'll do well in the u.s house because of that uh proclivity of of issue and wonkishness if you will but you know politics always beckons and now she's a statewide player this congressional seat is in the big media market and if history is any guide we don't know what it will be but down the road you
1: might see her name for a higher office uh, sooner than you think mm-hmm. any any sense joe of um where she could potentially stumble and what I mean by that is her bona fides for the progressive wing are pretty solid but the progressive wing can be a little squirrely when they feel like their needs are not being met you know what I mean they can make trouble for their own often is she a bit trapped by how she came into office here because let's get real here CD1 is a complicated district there's lots of veterans here there's lots of older folks here current military you know the base all that kind of thing I'm just curious where she might, you know, you you dance with who brung you, but once you're there, you got to kind of make another couple of moves, you know what I'm saying? It is a complicated moving parts district, and I do think she made one error in the campaign
5: that illustrates exactly what your question implies, and that was when she came out early for the REVE Act, which was a controversial proposal no one had heard much about, but it was a a darling of the progressives, and the conservatives just went, they flipped out that she was supporting this, which they claimed would defund the police, ICE, and all other kinds of bad things, according to them. She did that in part, I believe, because of the threat of Antoinette Cedillo-Lopez for the uh, nomination. And that's how that played out and i think she moved too far left on that then during the general election against Moore's, or the special election if you will she started to clarify her support for the breathe right. act bringing into elements what you're talking about the veterans the bases hispanic uh, uh working class people hey let's be careful here and i don't think based on that you're going to see her hanging out with aoc Or some of the other squad, like Deb Holland did. Deb Holland had free reign. Melanie Stansbury has a more complicated wire to walk, and I think we will see her come back to some of the traditional uh, areas of this district, like defending the funding for the military bases, although she didn't mention them at all during the campaign, which is another big change in this district. How can you not mention the biggest federal elephant in the room? But yes. that's the way, that ideology, ideologically, it's changed. So yeah, I think, you, I think she has some challenge ahead of her, but you know, she's
1: handled them well so far. Yeah, exactly right. Hey, Joe, I wanna thank you very much. This has been really insightful. I think these things stand the test of time, these sort of day after looks at these things. And we hope to have you back on one of these as the general gets a little bit closer. Plus, we've got all kinds of issues, you know, in our state legislature. I you know, know. coming up too. I'd love to talk to you about. So yeah, and the mayor's race. Oh, well, there you go. Exactly. Oh well, my god. You know, I guess I'd
5: ask you uh, before we before we leave. I have a question for you. I thought last night that uh, the the falling flat of the crime issue by Moore's was interesting. And I wondered, will that play any, does that single trouble for Manny Gonzalez, or is that a whole different deal that may or people want to hear more about the crime? That's a good question. I love that. (laughs) I've been thinking
1: about that a little, right? I'm thinking about it a little bit. I think Mr. Gonzalez is on good ground on that, that Mr. Morris couldn't establish. Yeah. Uh, You know, interestingly, I'll answer it this way. I thought Mr. Morris, I thought Mark's point the day after that it has to be about local issues to win was loaded with irony because he was talking about lots of national issues like the border wall. Do you know what I mean? Uh, lots of things that weren't necessarily CD1 issues. And I, I think what's going to happen is, you know, people are going to have to really start to hyper focus on this district. And, and it, like you said, it's ever evolving. It's ever changing. Uh, we've got a new reality with who's not moving here, as you reported in that census report. And, and who is moving here, folks over 65, we're gonna have their own political demands, their own you know, way of seeing things. We're, you know, elected folk here are in for a huge challenge over the next decade or so well, to manage all this. We'll be watching you to hear yeah. some of the ongoing commentary about it all.
0: Next up for the Line Opinion Panel uh, is another big story from the week and really the last 14 months, COVID-19. We've been talking a lot in recent months about the vaccination. This week we learned that the entire state now been moved into the turquoise level, which is the least restrictive. Uh, we're doing well with our vaccination rates up over 55% of the state that has had both shots and two weeks which puts us on track towards later this month, the uh, sort of mile marker that the governor is looking for when we get to 60%, which should cue a full reopening, although that may be phased in over a couple weeks. We shall see about that for sure. But also this week it was announced that the governor was going to use some of the federal money for COVID relief uh, to try to help get us over that hump a little faster uh, by having a sweepstakes. So you can register Uh, For the VAX sweepstakes, there'll be cash giveaways here. We've seen other states where there have been gun giveaways, other kinds of giveaways. There are other things being given away here in New Mexico, like fishing, hunting licenses, but also pretty big, substantial $250,000 cash prizes. So we wanted to talk about that strategy, whether that's a good use of that federal fund or if it would have been better used somewhere else. So let's kick it right back to the line opinion panel, see what they have to think about that issue.
1: According to the State Department of Health, nearly 66% of New Mexicans have had their first COVID-19 vaccine shot. And almost 56% are fully vaccinated at this point. And that's welcome news as new case counts and pandemic deaths continue to dwindle. But experts warn that it's not enough. They want the state to hit 70% and soon. To that end, the governor recently announced a sweepstakes with one million bucks split amongst four people each week for five weeks and get this a five million dollar grand prize sometime in August.
4: Eric, did you sign up? That's my first question. I did. <laughs> did as you? As a matter of fact. Right on. <laughs> I mean, I but I didn't, you know, I got vaccinated early, and you know, my wife and I, and even my my son who's 12, we all got it. Um, yeah so but you know why not sign up you know but i will say compared to what you know some other states are doing my father-in-law uh, said you know what would be good to get some of these folks who are anti anti-vaccine or anti-government to, you know offer them a, a firearm and guess what that's what west virginia and some states are doing now they're actually no offering kidding. a firearm because that's kind of the target audience they have to go after for the folks who don't trust the government um and uh So it's interesting. I mean, at least we're not offering that. We're offering hunting licenses, fishing licenses, things like that to to get people to go. Look, I I mean, it's 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 um it's troubling on the one hand, because there are a lot of folks all over the world who just don't have access at all to the vaccine that we have to do so much to try to get people. But I will say New Mexicans have been uh, I've been really proud of the work we've done to be willing to. To be vaccinated and that we're almost at 60 i think we'll be at 60 percent. and you know we, we moved to turquoise so every county in the states really had lifted restrictions so i think uh, whatever it takes to get people on board i do think you know five million bucks might be excessive to folks um i've never won a lottery in my life so i'm not holding my breath but um mm-hmm. but you know i i think anything we can do to get some of these folks who just for whatever reason don't buy the science don't trust uh, the health department you know um to to get off the dime if it if you know as my friend Dan would say, using market-based solutions um, to, to, to get people to do things, maybe it works in this case, right? That's well put. I like
1: that. Merritt, you know, seriously, i, I got to ask you what, do you, what do you make of this tactic? I mean, Cali, California had this enormous pool. They did sort of the same thing, a million and a half. They had like a $115 million pool to pull from. But then we're talking about federal money. We're talking about folks who paid into this, old ladies in Iowa, New Hampshire, Florida. I mean, is this just free money to hand around? What do you make of this?
3: I mean, I, I know like it's not even cool for Republicans to be, uh, you know, fiscally conservative anymore. But is it possible that maybe there's just too much federal money in the state at this point where mm-hmm. like we don't know what to do with it? So it's like, hey, let's have a sweepstakes. Come on. This is ridiculous. And of course, like, don't even consult the legislature because that would be crazy. Let's not even do that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I signed up. Sure. except yeah, that the agree.
4: ideas come from a bunch of republican states i mean ohio did it all the states that were the the ideas pioneered you know, are all republican states so
3: you know i don't even care but it's not even a market it's not even a market-based idea it's just we've got so much money we can't get it dispersed fast enough we've you know you're handing it to people to not go back to work we can't even allocate it fast enough so we're it's just it's kind of it's kind of mind boggling and we're doing OK with our vaccine rates. I mean, I guess it's better than setting it on fire. But this is we're as a nation, we're going to be in inflation for the next 15 years um, as and we're going into an infrastructure plan. I just don't even want to get started. I'm really pleased with our vaccination rates. Um, I'm really pleased that despite rates going up, we're uh, and I guess we're just throwing out the science, and we're all in turquoise now. Um, we're moving forward. I hope people take this seriously and continue getting boosters. Uh, I think vaccines important. Um, I think the sweepstakes is still um, a, a bit much.
1: Hey, I got to
2: you, Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead, mm-hmm. Gene. I was going to say the one thing I'm appalled at from that I've heard all day today uh, that just shocks me, and I'm I'm just absolutely it just. Tears at my inner fiber is when Eric Grego says he's never won a lottery. I've met Eric's wife, and that man did win a lottery. He won a big lottery. So I'm going to make sure watch she watches. For him to go out and say he's never won a lottery,
4: Eric, <laughs> you won the biggest lottery of all. But I'm just telling you. Nicely done, nicely done. I'll make sure yeah, my wife watches it. That's She's right. going to watch it, but she never watches it. But I'll say you got a shout out on the on the on the on the on the, on the line from there Dan. So she definitely tune in. I, I do have a question for Dan, for you, Daniel. Though you know state. Senate
1: Republicans, of course, were pouncing all over this, saying the governor, and i got a quote here, usurped legislative authority to rehabilitate her image, end quote, when she took all that federal dough. Do they have a point here? I mean, you know, she's everywhere on television now, and, you know, you think she was running for an Academy Award versus an office at some point. It's what
2: governor hasn't?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like this is news. I mean, we, you know, I mean, every governor,
2: you know, gets their, you know, I mean, look, I got to tell you, you know, the most. The most i don't know about you guys but my biggest pet peeve is every time i drive around the state of new mexico there's these big RN signs that says thank you governor so and so whoever the governor is for building our roads and thank you you know this is another investment project remember we had governor richardsons investment project thank you governor susanna martinez for building this road you know last time i checked not one of these people put a penny into building that road it's the taxpayers that built the road so you know to say that we're you know to quote To quote Gene's favorite movie, "Blazing Saddles," you know there's gambling in this establishment. I I can't believe this. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, the governor, you know, the governor, the budget the governor gets is is pretty tight. But there's also a decent amount of discretionary money, and for years, from what I, if I remember correctly, on the first decent
1: amount, we're talking about a ton of money here, man, <laughs> a well, lot let, of let money. Let me finish,
2: Gene. Let oh, me finish. Go ahead. Their discretionary portion also comes from any money that's incurred from the feds outside of the appropriations process. Uh, so there's a lot of that that's not incurred in the budget that the governor's office actually does have a lot of the the, the opportunity to spend on things they need. They just you know in the past you didn't see the windfall of money coming in that you're seeing now so uh, you may see some legislative action taken to tighten up that that kind of ability that says hey listen here's the budget because it takes into account all the federal dollars and anything extra you kind of can do what you want and, you know that was kind of pennies pennies from heaven in the past but now it seems to be truckloads of money
1: that are coming that's in that's right well that's going to be uh, discussed a lot as we go along eric i got i got to follow up on something dan actually mentioned that you know there's a tendency WE TEND TO THINK THOSE WHO AREN'T GETTING VACCINATED AT THIS POINT or DOING SO ON PURPOSE, MEANING a, some, a POLITICAL STATEMENT. YOU KNOW, IS THERE A SEGMENT, YOU KNOW, I'M NOT SURE IF THAT'S RIGHT OR WRONG, BUT IS THERE A SEGMENT OF THE POPULATION THAT EITHER DOESN'T WANT TO BOTHER, DOESN'T TRUST VACCINES, REGARDLESS OF THE POLITICS, AND HOW DOES A LOTTERY OVERTURN ALL OF THAT PREVIOUS
4: THINKING? THAT'S THE PART THAT'S SO CONFUSING TO ME. IS THIS THE WAY TO DO I, IT? WELL, there, THERE SEEM TO BE THESE GROUPS, YOU KNOW, THE, 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 the FOLKS THAT JUST philosophically ideologically they're not going to do it Uh then there's you know we we have friends like this you know uh, who say like i'm gonna wait i'm still not convinced yet or and then there's folks who just honestly don't have access i think we're we're doing a good job of trying to get anybody who wants it you know even though there's some rural areas that we really have to do a better job and tribal Mm -hmm. communities so on but there's a there's a group of folks you know and they're they're not they're not super political they're just like there's still this sort of reticence about it and so i think some of them might be moved by this i mean i think it's I'd rather see the money going into some other things too. But like at this point, like uh, I think that the thinking is, uh, you know, the, the self-promotion aside, I think the thinking is we've got to get to a rate where we can sort of get back to normal. And, and, um, and you see, you're seeing governors all over the country, Republicans and Democrats saying like, whatever we can do, you know, I, I can think of a lot of better ways to spend $5 million, frankly, but YOU KNOW, IF if IT'S WORKING IN OHIO, AND IT'S WORKING IN WEST VIRGINIA, AND IT'S WORKING IN SOME OTHER STATES, AND IT SEEMS TO BE GETTING PEOPLE OFF THE DIME, mm-hmm. THEN, YOU KNOW, um, I THINK THAT'S, that's YOU KNOW, CERTAINLY PEOPLE ARE TRYING IT. SO, um, YOU KNOW, LIKE, WHAT ARE YOU GOING TO DO? THERE YOU GO. WE'LL SEE HOW THAT PLAYS OUT. THAT WILL DO IT FOR
1: THIS GO-AROUND, THOUGH WE'LL BE WATCHING WHEN THE STATE STARTS ANNOUNCING THE WINNERS.
0: All right. Um, next up with the Line Opinion Panel, uh, we marked another milestone this week. We're barely halfway through 2021, and there have already been 50 homicides in Albuquerque, which is a rare record, and it's twice as many as we had in the city to this point last year. A uh, lot to dive into here. Crime, longstanding problem here in Albuquerque. We know it. We've tried many things to address it and uh, don't seem to be making much headway. And at the same time, as we talked about to kick off the show, uh, we have two election seasons now, this year with Mark Moores making that crime a big campaign issue for him in the special election for CD1. And then last year, Mark Ronchetti really beat that drum on the campaign trail in his run for the U.S. Senate, but they were both unsuccessful. So Uh, What will other candidates take from that moving into the future? Most notably later this year in the Albuquerque mayoral campaign, where we see incumbent Tim Keller's running again, as well as Bernalillo County Sheriff Manny Gonzalez, who's making crime and sanctuary city things big parts of his campaign already. And so lots to dive into on this topic. Let's get right to it now. Send it back to the line opinion panel.
1: 2021 is already a record year for murders in Albuquerque, and we're not even halfway through. This past weekend, there were two killings in less than 12 hours, and the second death brought the total so far to 50. That's twice as many murders as we had at this point last year. Albuquerque's police chief says many cities are seeing similar rise in violent crime this year, including Portland, where a new study by the major Cities chief association found the homicide rate had jumped by more than 1,100% this year. That study found our homicide rate up 75, percent but again, that was before this weekend's violent outburst. And Dan, we've been talking about this for a long time about violence in Albuquerque here on the show and other places, and yet the numbers continue to climb. What are we missing as a city? What, what's your take on this? Yeah, I just, I mean, there's, we don't have enough time to have that conversation, Gene. It's, I hear you. I
2: mean, it's, it, it's a problem. I mean, we have an unbelievable problem with, me, you know, getting mental health services to people in this state. Uh, they all seem to get dumped in albuquerque Mm -hmm. and this is the place that comes you know when folks get released from incarceration this seems to be a a key place to drop them off with no real you know opportunities and hopes to go forward Mm -hmm. um it's just you know and all of this and you know we're unveiling a task force to go after drag racers in the streets right i mean you know look I, i you know drag racing in the streets is a bad deal but You know, we've got to we've got to get serious. Let me let me ask
1: you this. Let me ask you this, Dan. You know, a a violence intervention program spokesperson, you particularly want your your opinion here, says less than 0.1 percent of the population is behind the majority of the violent crimes here in Albuquerque. Wouldn't that say this would be easier to get your arms around if you know who these people are? Down to uh, less than one percent. You know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, it depends on. You know, I don't know where they got their statistics, so it depends on you know, what the answer is to that, right? If you're going to say it's all one ethnic group or it's all one gender, or it's all, I mean, it becomes a really difficult situation to 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 address that. But we've seen the continued fail policies in Albuquerque, right? We looked at what they did with the, you know, with the minis, right? They were going to shut down the one gas station and let them sell them three blocks away. Mm-hmm. We just, we seem to have a very reactive response to crime in the city mm-hmm. and not a very proactive response. And 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 I'm not saying this to be you know, a platitude. I I think if anything can bring people together across party lines, it's realizing that there's a crime problem. We have to have a list, we have to have a significant conversation that includes not only incarceration but rehabilitation. Gotcha. I mean, the answer can't be lock everybody up. The answer's got to be how do you find out, how do you get the real bad guys off the streets? Right. And how do you get the non-bad guys back to being productive members of society? Mm-hmm. And it seems it's always an either-or conversation, not only in New Mexico, but across the country. We're either all about locking people up or all about letting people out. And we've got to get off that that that
1: that mark. I hear that. Eric, you know, some people are saying THAT DEFUND THE POLICE AND OTHER EFFORTS ARE ACTUALLY HAMPERING POLICE EFFORTS OUT THERE. IS THIS A TROJAN HORSE? IS THIS JUST, OR RED HERRING PROBABLY A BETTER uh, WAY TO SAY IT, YOU KNOW, WHAT'S THE TRUE FEELING OUT THERE WITH THIS KIND OF
4: THING? YOU KNOW, I THINK IT'S, AGAIN, THAT'S A CONVENIENT SORT OF uh, TALKING POINT FROM FOLKS WHO WANT TO KIND OF EXPLOIT THAT AS A POLITICAL MESSAGE. Mm -hmm. THE RESEARCH ON THIS IS ACTUALLY PRETTY WELL KNOWN. YOU KNOW, THE one of the biggest predictors is uh, of homicide rates, which is what we started out talking about is how many guns you have in your community, right? How liberal your gun policy is not the opposite. So, um, so some of the folks on the right who really are, including Sheriff Gonzalez, who's been a a big, you know, uh, know, first amendment city or second amendment city, uh, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to protect everybody's Mm -hmm. rights to own gun guns. And even if you listen to some folks in law enforcement, um, you know, the fact that we've had so many law enforcement has so much problems, assuming everybody's armed. And so you have more guns, you have more police get shot. You have more uh, people shooting each other and killing each other. You have higher higher uh, lethal domestic violence rates. So so we we like to talk about good guys and bad guys or bad hombres and all this, that the truth is the very folks who were talking about being tough on crime are I think largely responsible for the, for the proliferation of guns in this community and all across the country. I agree with Dan. Drug inter, uh, you know, drug issues, there's a big addiction problem in this community, like a lot of communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we absolutely have to address the mental health crisis, which is another part of this, right? And then all of the underlying issues. So nobody's pro-crime. I mean, everybody wants to feel safe in their communities. But the, the question is, again, and I think this is going to play out in this upcoming mayor's race. I think it's going to play out in the 2022 elections is. Is, you know, right. is if 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 this message we heard from Mark Moores and Republicans all crime all the time and, you know, we've got to lock them up, lock them up. And we don't need we don't need cameras. We don't need body cameras. Um, we uh, we just have to lock everybody up. As to, 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 to Dan's earlier point, I think that's not a good strategy. I mean, we have some serious systemic issues that we have to look at and try to address. Mm-hmm. Right. Including. Uh, you know, the lack of, of of opportunities, the lack of mental health services, the lack of drug and addiction I mean, or drug uh, treatment and rehabilitation services. Those are all things we can address. And I really feel strongly that we have to have an honest conversation about the proliferations of guns here. And the fact that people in law enforcement who who know this is a problem, uh, Sheriff Gonzalez is the chief among them, that they should be the ones saying, look, my people aren't people aren't safe because there's this proliferation of guns and mm-hmm. and that's and people are you know most of these crimes if you look at the data they're not dying from beatings they're not dying from stabbings they're dying from gun uh, you know the gun injuries right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a good point there you know merit, mental health issues has come up from both
1: these FELLOWS already and resources have been a big issue for a long time here in New Mexico you know. It's going to be more crucial coming out of the fourteen months of isolation. I should add, from COVID nineteen, are we ready to deal with all of this? When you look at the landscape of what the city's going to do, the county's looking to do, this new violence intervention program that was referenced a second ago, is it a little bit under? Are we in the sweet spot here, AND making progress? What's what's your overall take on it?
3: Well, you know, first of all, the statistics. You know, some some cities their uh, homicide rates gone up. You know 1100 percent ours has only gone up 75 well our homicide rate was already high so thank you the thing that no one has addressed uh, across administration different administrations doj reforms no one's really tried to fix the culture of law enforcement here mm. if you look at um the the hostility to the doj reforms uh the millions of dollars we're spending on it and uh, still very little being done the opportunity to bring in a fresh approach from a different city that has done much to uh, resolve its violent crime issues um and instead we hired within our own if you look at um the systemic issues of prosecuting uh violent crime in the Mm -hmm. da office whether it was brandon for us um we have um a cultural PROBLEM WITH MANAGING CRIME, AND NO ONE um, SEEMS WILLING TO ADDRESS THAT HEAD ON. WE mm. KEEP DOING the same THING WITH THE SAME PEOPLE AND THE SAME MANAGEMENT. Mm-hmm. AND UNTIL WE REALLY TAKE THAT ON, AND THAT IS uh, THE MAYOR, THAT IS THE POLICE UNION, THAT IS THE CHIEF OF POLICE, THAT IS EMBRACING THE DOJ REFORM, THAT IS COMPETENT um, PROSECUTION, THAT IS POLICE OFFICERS SHOWING UP TO HEARINGS TO AVOID DISMISSAL OF CHARGES, THAT'S HUGE. Um, and I, I think what we just saw in the, the uh, Raver murder uh, acquittal, um, when we can't prosecute uh, adequately or competently, but we still think you know we have a DA who still thinks he can run for AG, we've got a problem. Yeah. And I, I think it's it, and adding to proliferation uh, of weapons, poverty, a poor education system, dropouts, unemployment, all of this adds up to, Uh, WHERE WE ARE AT uh, A TIPPING POINT OF uh, AN an INTOLERABLE HOMICIDE RATE IN ALBUQUERQUE. AND WE'VE BEEN TALKING ABOUT IT FOR YEARS ON THIS SHOW, BUT NO ONE IN THE CITY SEEMS TO REALLY ADDRESS THE PROBLEM.
1: IT'S A FRIGHTENING RATE COMPARED TO WHERE WE WERE LAST YEAR. IT'S UNBELIEVABLE. WE'RE OUT OF TIME, UNFORTUNATELY. THIS IS ONE OF THOSE ONGOING TOPICS WE'LL REVISIT BEFORE LONG. THANKS TO ALL OUR PANELISTS. A FEW FINAL THOUGHTS IN A MOMENT.
0: All right, and we have a little bit extra for you this week as well. want to bring you our weekly warm-up that we do as a Facebook Live to get us ready and everybody in the zone for our line tapings. Uh, We call it our weekly warm-up. And one more thing, we just kind of go around the table and let everybody dive into something we don't have time for in the show. And as usual, a big-time hodgepodge of topics. Uh, Dan Foley, as you will hear, wants to talk about the release And the things we learned from uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci's email release. And we also have uh, government and media relations uh, from Merritt Allen. And then Eric Griego uh, hinting at something we just talked a little bit about with the crime problem in Albuquerque and the race for mayor. There was, uh, we made national headlines this week as um, Sheriff uh, Manny had a. campaign event that uh, ended with uh, some uh, interesting footage, some interesting stuff that's making the headlines through, uh, especially social media uh, from detractors, folks who are not supporters of him. And uh, so a lot to digest digest here uh, in our weekly warm-up, but wanted to sort of give that to you as a bonus this week. also want to make you aware, I have another episode coming out on Monday with more from last week's show. Uh, namely, we sat down with uh, Dean Hansen Who is the photo editor for the Albuquerque Journal But he called it a career uh, last week And uh, it's a great one and we encourage you for this one Also if you get a chance to go check out Facebook and YouTube pages and watch it Because we uh, really kind of just go through some of his favorite photographs over the year Get the stories behind them So it's a fascinating conversation We'll have that for you Also, Home for Life, it's a new program uh, that the Albuquerque Economic Development Department is doing to try to bring people back to Albuquerque who may have left, bring people uh, who haven't lived here before to Albuquerque as well. Uh, really, uh, they are cornering or targeting several markets, uh, many in California, for instance, when we wanted to talk about that strategy, given that uh, it seems to be a shortage of houses here in Albuquerque right now, or if even if you find a house, and you live here in New Mexico, you can expect to pay at least ticket price, if not quite a bit more. So we wanted to get behind the thought process there, given what the housing market here in Albuquerque is right now. So that's all coming for you uh, in our next episode and we're already planning lots more for next week we've got our land coming up next week our environmental series we're going to look at wildfires it's been 10 years this year to the lost conscious fire one of the most devastating biggest wildfires in state history we're going to look into those issues we're also going to take you to the farmers market as we come back to some normalcy out of covid 19 so lots of great things in store as always in between keep up with us on facebook instagram youtube Twitter. You'll find us in all those places. Let us know what you think, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what we should be covering, what you think about any of the topics the line covered this week. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up in any of those places. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy.
1: Let me turn to my man, Dan Foley, working hard there in your office. What's your one more thing this week, sir? What you got going on?
2: So my one more thing normally is, uh, I usually stick with local stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, my one more thing this year has been the unveiling of the Fauci emails. Oh. Um, it's been a surprising a surprising uh, a display of, of what he know, knew, didn't know, should have known. But to me, the most interesting part has been him and uh, Zuckerberg's relationship uh, that's clearly being portrayed in the emails, the the bromance that was going on between the two of them. And uh, I think it just keeps highlighting what, you know, one of the things that I've been talking about, which I think is to me is a nonpartisan issue, but is the tech oligarchs taking over and, you know, being able re- to decide what we're hearing, what we're seeing, when we're seeing it, when in reality, the new town square is no longer you know, going down to the courthouse or coming here to one civic plaza and having a conversation—it's having that dialogue on Twitter mm-hmm. and Facebook, and uh, you know, having this—you know—the censoring of folks that didn't agree with their opinion, counter-opinions, set, turning people off, and 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 putting people in the lockbox who basically came out saying things that didn't agree with Fauci. That now, uh, the the information is showing that they may have been correct, mm-hmm. and so um, you know, regardless of where you stand on the. The COVID nineteen deal, which was a horrible thing that happened to the country, I just I think this relationship, you know, regardless of party, between big tech, elected officials, politicians, bureaucrats, is something
1: we should be paying a lot of attention to going forward. I think. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, Eric Riego, former state
4: senator. Good to see you too. What's your one more thing this week as well, man? Well, we saw an interesting start to the mm-hmm. upcoming Albuquerque mayors race, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, without getting into too much graphic detail, there was an interesting visitor <laughs> at uh, Manny Gonzalez's uh, kickoff event uh, mm-hmm. in the form of a drone that was carrying something that uh, probably shouldn't say on public television. But uh, you can say sex um, on public television. A, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little bit of an altercation as well. So it's it's going to be as now that we're passed this uh, congressional special election, it looks like it's going to be a zany uh, mayor's race. And it was interesting, uh, Manny Gonzalez's reaction to it, that he um, he very much took a kind of a hard line that, uh, that there was a a conspiracy going on there, but I I, I thought it was, I mean, I think it was sophomoric, um, but I think it made the national news certainly um, that, that, uh, that uh, folks are maybe uh, taking a, a creative approach to the, Upcoming mayor's
1: <laughs> face. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me ask you a question. You know, the, the Gonzalez folks made the accusation, as you just sort of referenced, that this came from the Keller folks that this fellow that was flying this drone, which was dangling a sex toy uh, in front of Mana Gonzalez's face on stage, and it actually, the drone was seized, <laughs> which is interesting by one of the Gonzalez folks. But what do you make of the thing? You know, the, the, I'm sorry, the Keller folks pushed back really hard on this, really, really hard. It, it, was there anything behind that in your view from the Keller folks?
4: No, I mean, okay. uh, Nettie O'Geen, uh the, the mayor's uh, campaign manager was pretty unequivocal. You know, she called it, I don't think she called it sophomore, but she called it immature, mm-hmm. totally uh, denounced it. Uh, frankly, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know of a political consultant anywhere who would suggest doing something like that, even covertly. <laughs> so I, I actually, I think she did a pretty good job and they did a pretty good job, including the mayor saying like, you know, this is, this is not where we should be. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be funny. Uh, I, I just thought it was uh, a funny start. I was, it was more sort of tongue in cheek, but uh, I don't think the people in the race think it's anywhere near, you know, above board to be doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was, it was interesting that it made the guardian and, and several other kind of national international It'll probably be on the late-night shows. I wouldn't right. be surprised if Colbert or uh, John Oliver somebody doesn't cover it. So, mm-hmm. Well, for the sheriff,
1: you know, talk about unearned media. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's all, that's what it is in this game sometimes. you got to earn your way on the TV any way you can. Interesting points there. Merritt Allen, always good to see you out there in the East Mountains. What's going on in your world today for your One More Thing?
3: Well, I, um, I, I definitely want to talk about uh, government and the media as well. Um, I've just been... Uh, uh, upset for for many years at the continuing uh, erosion at the relationship between uh, the government and our free press. And I can't say often enough, it's really key in a democracy that uh, a government and a free press work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And at the executive branch, we've seen that relationship become more and more distant. And in New Mexico in the last month, Uh, I I think it's gotten ridiculous. First, we had the PED secretary just flat out refuse an interview request from the Albuquerque Journal Mm -hmm. uh, over uh, uh, missing a deadline that cost the state, uh, what, $38 million Mm -hmm. and just said, no, I'm not gonna talk about it. Uh, That's not okay. Uh, That's not okay. Um, And then this ongoing uh, CYFD mess, um, it started with the Signal app But um, I'm really upset over the firing, the firing of two senior uh, civil servants who had been recruited by CYFD because of their outstanding skills, Deborah and Cliff Gilmore. Uh, Deborah, um, a a highly respected uh, attorney and certified project manager, uh, among other things, overseeing uh, a significant uh, uh, technology rollout for case management. And Cliff Gilmore, a retired Marine Corps public affairs officer um near and dear to my heart uh basically uh uh noting uh on deborah's side you're not going to meet this deadline your 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 tech implementation is not going to happen and Mm -hmm. cliff saying you cannot quit destroying information you can't you you can't keep doing this and Mm -hmm. CYFD said oh wow um yeah you guys are fired yeah this is this is not okay we we AND THANK YOU TO THE NEW MEXICO PRESS FOR KEEPING THIS OPEN AND DEMANDING IT, AND, and THIS WAS SOMETHING I FOUND WHEN I WAS BEATING MY DRUM OVER THE REDISTRICTING COMMISSION.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: YOU HAVE TO TREAT THE MEDIA AS AN ALLY. THE MEDIA WILL HELP YOU. YOU KNOW, uh, NEW MEXICO PBS, THE ALBUQUERQUE JOURNAL, ALL OF OUR NEWSPAPERS our TELEVISION. Um, if, IF YOU WORK IN GOVERNMENT INFORMATION, THE MEDIA IS YOUR ALLY. You work with them they're not always going to give you the coverage you want but that to me is the tenet of government information it's something the department of defense uses uh called principles of information a fair and free flow of information Hmm. to taxpayers to free citizens in a democracy this is vital and new mexico just isn't doing it and we've got to demand a change we have to demand better and i'm furious
1: good for you i i YOU KNOW SOMETHING'S GOT TO GIVE UP AT THAT AGENCY AT SOME POINT SOMETHING'S GOT TO GIVE AND YOU KNOW THERE'S BEEN A LOT OF GOOD PEOPLE GO AHEAD MERIT MY FAULT mm-hmm.
3: I SAID SOMETHING HAS TO GIVE IN THE GOVERNOR'S OFFICE
1: YEAH FAIR ENOUGH FAIR ENOUGH ABSOLUTELY BECAUSE THEY ARE THE ONES THAT EVENTUALLY OR YOU KNOW CAN INFLUENCE WHAT HAPPENS OF COURSE AT c o a f d IN THE PROPER WAY THAT HAS SOME STICKING POWER SO um, INTERESTINGLY THOSE TWO FOLKS YOU MENTIONED it's going to end up costing the state and taxpayers here more money probably <laughs> at the end of yeah. the day, you know. So who loses there as well? Have to wrap it up there. Thank you guys for all those. Thanks for joining us. New Mexico in Focus airs Friday nights and Sunday mornings right here on New Mexico PBS.